This is the Behind the Sports Story podcast. I'm your host, Dave Boboff. Welcome to the Behind the Sports Story podcast. This is episode five. This week, I will be talking to CJ Toledano, the founder of the new creative sports studio, Follow Through. And he's also former head writer and creative director of House of Highlights. And House of Highlights is a profile that most of you probably follow. Um, and it represents and leads the pack in terms of sports social media and the type of content that that is in that space. And so we're, we're going to talk about that, talk about what makes good social and what makes what makes bad social as well, because that's also an important piece. And then thinking about this episode and talking about social media, it, it's important to give the context of why we're talking about social media as such an important thing. And when I was younger, when I got my first cell phone in middle school, it was a very practical reason. Both my parents were working in the city and they wanted to make sure they had a, to, a way to contact me in case of emergency. And so that first Nokia block phone, I think a lot of people had that phone. I'm not really sure if it even had text. But my generation, we were middle school and high school when the technology and cell phones were exponentially evolving every single year. I remember, I mean, my parents remember and as a family, we always make jokes that I was always obsessed with getting the newest phone. You know, they had the Verizon chocolate and the Blackberries. And remember that whole phase with with Nextel bleep phones. And they're all called I-90. I, I don't know why they were named after the interstate system, but the names were weird. And then that bleep stuff where people were just talking loudly on a walkie talkie. And at the time, that was really cool. To be fair to my younger self, every single year, it seemed like the cell phone had a technology that was that represented some exponential growth. So you had a black and white phone that couldn't text. Then you had a phone that could text. Then you had pictures. Then you had color, a color phone. Then you had pictures that just look nicer. The internet was also on the phone, but I remember in early years, touching the internet icon was, it was unclear whether or not you, if you press the globe icon, if all of a sudden you'd be charged like $50 a second. I don't know if that was just a parental myth to keep me from spending money on the internet, but there was a lot of changes going on. And now, I couldn't care less about what my phone does. It does so much more than what I actually need it to do that I I don't even know what the latest phone number is. I don't know what, what number iPhone I have. It, it doesn't really matter to me. But the technology was truly evolving at a truly evolving at a pace that was astounding. And it was right before our eyes. And along with that was the ability to use products that now took advantage of having this type of technology in everyone's hands. So you fast forward through the development of the social media companies, MySpace, Facebook, et cetera, and Instagram that came around in 2010. And so when I was in college, Instagram started moving up, but Facebook was still the place where everyone would post their pictures. And then Instagram moved in. And by the time I had graduated, that was the place where you put your piece of content. And so we all developed this habit now of scrolling through content, pictures of people. Uh, obviously, everyone has a different approach to their social media and how they curate it, which is which is cool. And then eventually, companies started putting highlights on social, which was a really cool thing to see cool plays and have access to that if you're not necessarily watching it on broadcast. 
And then the change start, started to happen where, and again, this is this is anecdotal. This is my my assessment of what's going on is people started to then now use social content, social highlights as almost the way that they monitor and engage sports itself. So watching a baseball game or watching an entire football game or, or basketball game or getting sent the SparkNote version, uh, the SparkNote version of the highlights directly to your phone where you could scroll through, see the big dunk. OK, then you'll find out who can win later. And then you have all the content that you need. So instead of the social media being a supplement to it, it almost became the primary form of how people were getting sports which in a way also expanded its audience because people who don't necessarily didn't have the access or didn't want to have the access or didn't think about going forward and getting sports in the traditional way were able to just quickly see it. And if they found it interesting, press follow and you can scroll through and, and like it if you want. And with that came some lucrative business. And House of Highlights is one of the prime examples of exactly that. One of the other parts of it, too, is now that, as you see with first movers that come in, there are people who follow. So there are a number of highlight profiles on on social media, and they're doing it to to various degrees of success and quality. And so I'm going to talk about that with CJ. How do you do it well? He's done it well. He's going to continue to do it well in his new project, and he'll explain why. Let's go. CJ Toledano, founder of New Creative Sports Studio Follow Through and former head writer and creative director of House of Highlights. How you doing, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. In the intro to this episode, I talk a little bit about how social media evolved over time and how we got to where we are today. Now, your path to social media wasn't necessarily direct. You started in comedy, right? Well, yeah. I mean, every time I, you know, whenever I meet people, I mean, before pan- the pandemic, when you'd go to these events like All-Star Weekend or the Super Bowl and you'd meet other, you know, people in sports social, everyone's like, I was a journalism major. I was an advertising or marketing major. And they're like, what did you do, CJ? And I was like, I bombed at open mics for 10 years, you know? But yeah, my, my path has been a little different. And, you know, that's just like, um, I owe that to sort of my passion for sports, for just like always staying a few feet away from it, I feel like, but also in just the way the world worked in terms of like online communities and social media and just these platforms that have been created have never had like this clear definition of what the clientele or the or the members of it were, were to do. And so there's sort of a blurry line between advertising, marketing, like, uh, you know, team content and just straight up entertainment. And so I come from it, um, from an entertainment angle and yeah. Yeah. It's funny. So I come from the PR side and and that's what I do in my, uh, in my day job and, um, social media, I feel like over the past couple of years has been something that has been a little bit intimidating for those sort of legacy industries like marketing and PR and advertising, because as you just said, the audience, we think the audience is, is, is essentially like this younger group that we don't really have an I understand what who, what their identity is but that's a, that's not necessarily the case because you know everyone's now consuming it now mm-hmm. uh, in terms of social media what was that first thing that you worked on or a campaign that someone else did that made you think like I could do I could do this social media can be a career for me you know what it was um I don't know if it was a campaign. It was more so just like people. And I never knew whether or not they were actually making any money doing it. But like, you know, when I first was on Twitter, 
like I think I got on there in like 2008 or nine. Um, and like at the time it was mainly comedy writers just like trying out kind of Mitch Hedberg type jokes, you know? Um, and then it was a few years of that. And then a lot of sports started getting on there, but it wasn't just, it was like takes, like just like sports opinions. And, um, you know, there were a few guys that I, I love to shout out who, who have, you know, since become friends of mine. Um, this guy named Jason Concepcion, who, was over at the ringer for a long time. He's known as network on Twitter. Um, and just the, and Chase Serrano and the Grantland, sort of Bill Simmons Grantland. It was also, it was a website. It was online. And I was just like a fan of that. And I was like, Oh, maybe one day I'd, I'd love to dabble into sort of that intersection of sports and pop culture. But again, I didn't know if those guys were making a real living at it. And I, I didn't know if I had even the chops to it. Um, luckily what happened was I had a weekly basketball game out here in LA and I was out of work and the basketball game was just like comedians and producers and, and other performers. Um, and I sort of got known as just like this nice, like fun guy who threw this basketball game every week. And there was a producer there, um, who was at funny or die at the time. And she was like, Hey, we just, um, did a partnership with the Pistons and they're sort of looking for a, um, a, an out of the box, like, you know, creative, um, content team to sort of, you know, make, you know, bring them from out of their local spotlight to like global spotlight on, on some of their stories. And so I pitched some ideas on that. I got hired there and um, yeah, at the Pistons, it was like, I knew they didn't tell me like, Hey, social is how you got to break through or like make this worth our wild. But to me, it was like, Oh, all the sports and entertainment and all the stuff that was really moving the needle for me was through social. And so it was like all the content that we're going to make is going to be on social because one that is not the local market that's to anyone who stumbles upon it enjoys it. And so to me, it was Andre Drummond's all-star campaign. And sorry that this is like a little bit of a walk, but Andre Drummond was, um, was, you know, they were like a ninth seed in the East. Andre, you know, the Pistons hadn't been good for a while, but Drummond was putting up double doubles, you know, like every night. And so, but he deserved to be an all-star. He had never been an all-star and how all-star voting works is that, you know, I think half of it, 50% of it was through social media. You had to tweet, their name, hashtag uh, NBA vote. And so it was like, all right, well, we got to collect retweets on stuff. And so it was about coming up with content that was both appealing to the mainstream and also to Pistons fans and also wasn't false to Andre's narrative. And so it was Andre Drummond's all-star campaign that I really just like got in the dirt and just like tried to figure out that formula of trying to tell a story and try to do it in the most clever, innovative and appealing way possible. So one of the things you mentioned before about the Pistons not necessarily having a plan for you to focus on, that's sort of the beauty of it, too, is that there is no playbook or there hasn't been a playbook for the past, let's say, five, ten years of people who are creating social. And that gave you an opportunity to to just build it as you mm-hmm. saw it. How, how was that process? Well, you know, yeah, there, there was no playbook, but there were there were some really good people along the way that had great organizational and manager, managerial and like some experience in like, hey, let's put together a structure and run with it and we'll tweak as we go. And a lot of that I found uh, luckily at Bleacher Report. Like, you know, I got hired to be the head writer uh, and creative producer for the Social Moments team. And that was just straight up making memes on, you know, the hottest stories in sports. Um, But, you know, people will catch up to that pretty quickly, other outlets. And so to us, it was about continuing to evolve that, you know, at every step. And so, you know, we had... One one example of sort of structure was when a story would break, we would have wave, we would have this wave system, right? And so like wave one would be reporting the story, not in like, you know, 
you know, X did this, you know, not just like boring. It was still in a cool, you know, sort of like appealing way to, to our targeted audience. And then two was like, wave two was like the really cool, like, you know, you see like the movie scene head swaps or like, you know, uh, putting a fire on a basketball when LeBron's dunking or, or stuff like that. And then, you know, sometimes when we would just, cause we had such a great team over there back in like 2016 and 17, we would have several waves where we're just like, you know, we just have so many creative ideas. Not, we don't want to waste them all. Like let's put it on a wave system. And then it was like, all right, we know what the sports calendar looks like. We know that Super Bowl's in February. We know that again, the finals are in June. And like, those are when like sports fans are really engaged. And so it was about building out sports calendars and giving us lead time to go, all right, let's predict, let's, what's the piece of content for if, you know, the Cavs won or if the Warriors won or if Tom Brady wins his, you know, his fifth or sixth championship. And so it was a little bit about predicting. And that was sort of like the structure. And like, that's when it was like, oh, this could be a for real job. This is like, this is like me. My dad was a doctor and like, you know, on the outside, he would be, he he could be like, oh yeah, what you see, you just make like funny sports content. It's like, yeah, but like nine to five, I think about, what kind of content is really going to pop over a sports calendar. And so, um, yeah, that was, it really became a, a real job when I started over at Bleacher Report. Building things like, like what you just talked about and also content like Game of Zones. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big one. I, I actually watched, started watching Game of Zones before I watched Game of Thrones. So I have to say, <laughs> yeah. content, that actually was a, is a good measure because I thought the content was super interesting without even having sort of the larger context of, of what it was based on. That's um, all credit to the Malamut brothers, but um, yeah, go on. Sort of. Yeah. Cut you off. So, so things like that, like what you know, you just mentioned that there's planning that goes on, mm-hmm. and I think it may, some people may not understand that that whole editorial calendar effort is something that social media teams, marketing teams, PR teams, a lot more of it is planned. But what makes a good social account over time? What what type of content? Because uh, an issue that I think a lot of people have is that you have to be continuous with it. Yeah. But how do you keep the quality up? It's uh, it's a couple things. It's one, having a, a team that is not complacent. You know, it's like we talk about these playbooks and these sort of like trends and stuff. And like the second someone does it and it pops, everyone's like, well, it's awesome. And then you got 20 other people doing it. Right. And like the thing is, I, I you know, coming from the comedy and like in, in wanting to write movies and writing for TV shows, I really did early on feel like the sports uh, media and social landscape, the bar for quality was sort of low. And for a while, especially when Bleacher Report was one of the first people to really give commitment to that, we were just running up the numbers. And we could have just been like, we're just going to do movie head swaps all the time. We're just going to keep jer- doing jersey swaps. We're just going to keep doing, uh, you know, Steph is Steph is the GOAT, LeBron's the GOAT, Kobe's the GOAT, whatever. And like, we did some of that stuff. But also it was like, all right, but we got to keep forwarding the game. And that is like, no matter what, like, and I talk to other people who are sort of like at the top of their game and what they do, and they are never complacent. They're like, all right, I figure it out this. I'm going to keep running that until it's completely dry. But in the meantime, that's buying me time to think about the next thing. And like the thing that's going to like keep me relevant. And I think we, we, we had a lot of focus on that and complacency creativeness it was also uh you know teamwork you know the corny stuff like teamwork being as creative as possible but also like just having an open mind like maybe you're not going to find that inspiration in sports go and live a life a little bit like we were living in new york city and it was like let's go and have a drink and get to know each other know about our our lives coming up and like becoming a close team because the hours of sports as you probably know is like you know especially on the east coast you could be watching you know your shift could be like from three 
till two in the morning. And so you got to, you got to really be with these people at odd hours and they're being pulled away from their, their, uh, their wives or husbands or boyfriends, girlfriends, or, you know, and so it was a lot of combinations of that. And again, I think it was Bleacher Report to go, man, like there, there is like, there's something here. Like, let's keep chasing. Let's put some money behind it. Let's like, this is a for real business. This is the future of not only like sports content, but sports advertising and all that. And like, obviously we see how big it is now and and the numbers and it speaks for itself. Was there a a bit of a, a struggle between legacy figures at Bleacher Report or wherever you've worked and, and convincing them that memes or, or funny content, what, you know, someone's uh, face on a movie screen, that could be a little bit weird to that group. What, what was that process like? You know, that's, uh, I think it's like corporate legacy a little bit. And um, it, it's always going to exist in some way at all these places. And, and as I've gotten older, it's, it's about figuring out, it's the a really delicate balance of figuring out how to, how to communicate those things how to have enough passion without looking sort of like hard to work with, which, you know, I don't regret any ways that me or my team or anyone have ever pushed against legacy. Um, because a lot of, in a lot of it, it's like, you know, maybe they realized then, or maybe they said no, or, and they realized, you know, six months later, but like, again, it, it's like what I said earlier, it's just, it's about forwarding this little, this game, this like industry, this space. And so I think that's always like, you know, a big part of me starting follow through and leaving Bleacher Report and House of Highlights is that I sort of want to back up, not complaints, but just like the the roadblocks that I've had. And those are roadblocks that I completely understood why they existed and and, and why there's always going to be another one. It's because it's a corporation. It's at the end of the day, you know, Ted Turner, he had no idea that this company called Bleacher Report would be one of like 50 of his companies. Like, let's not screw up anyone's money above us because we might, you know, in the in the whole grand scheme of things, we're just a little blip on the on the little like ecosystem of of Turner. And again, like I may be like, oh, I, I maybe I may see it this way, like, oh, you're not doing this or this or, or blah blah blah. But like they have reasons, they have you know bigger deals, they have other things, and so like that's where I gotta understand. And you know, it's not all about just like getting retweets and viral, uh, you know, going viral and all that other stuff, but. Yeah, it's a, it's a constant, not struggle, but it's always going to be an obstacle that you have to deal with no matter where you are, in my opinion. So one of the things, to, to the point you just made about, um, you know, balancing something new with legacy. Uh, in my first episode, I talked to uh, Carrie Potts, who, who was a senior public relations person at mm-hmm. uh, ESPN. And we talked about shortly what happened with Michael and Jamel, for example. Yeah. Michael and Jamel just did a, their first podcast podcast together. And one of the points that we we made was, you know, three years ago at ESPN, they had an issue with the way that they were presenting sports. Now, if you watch ESPN now, that is the only way they present sports. And it's very interesting to think about the the legacy media that are willing to give that space and say, OK, um, we're going to put some trust in our creatives to do something that we don't understand you know, I'm sure there's examples of it not working, but yours is is one of the examples of it actually working pretty lucratively. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, again, with Michael and Jamil, it's just like, I remember seeing that and I was on the side of like, why are, why is everyone coming down so hard on him? Because I knew later on, again, it's like, I think I said something similar to earlier. It's like, there are these disruptors who, again, I think disruptors will always go like, we're not disruptors. We're just trying to make good, honest content. 
um, or just put out the message out there that we we feel is right. And everyone else is sort of catching up because everyone else's main goal is, is money, keeping a job and whatever. I'm like, that's fine. Um, but like some things, you know, you live a, a, a big life, a full life and um, and you grow up certain ways and, and go through certain situations, like you find out money isn't this, is, isn't the important thing. And it's about like, hey, I have this platform. I'm going to use it to do this. And whatever happens, happens. And so like I really saw them as like martyrs. I see a lot of other you know people since then be martyrs. And now we see everyone, like you said, like doing that. And um, and it's just like I just hope. And we, I think again, you talk to those people. I bet you they'd understand like why it happened, and they'd be maybe a little bit salty about it. But like, I just hope people are these people are getting the credit for it. I hope like you know some of the the, the conversations or maybe what people perceived as arguments or like uh, you know fights or, or like you know emotional conversations about the stuff we wanted to do. I hope that I and my team got cre- gets credit for it when everyone's doing it three years from now, which sounds like a brag, but it's just like, you know, it's just, um, it's just how it goes. And you can't like, you can't, I can't like think about that all day. Cause I got to just keep working. You yeah. Know? Well, that's the point too, is, is you, you guys also took the risk. You took the risks to say, Hey, I have to, and like you said, you have to balance not messing up the money above you, yeah. but also knowing that um, I feel really strongly about this being the thing that for one is going to make me personally successful, but also the organization as a, as a whole. So one of the pet peeves, we sort of just talked about this, but one of the pet peeves that I have about sports social media, and it may be because I follow too many and we all follow too many, <laughs> yeah. is the repetition mm-hmm. that when there is a day without content, we're going to see the Vince Carter dunks over the guy in the Olympics. We're going to see... Um, you know, Steph Curry was crazy for hitting that three against the, you know, whatever team it was. And, and we'll see that highlight five times throughout the year. And again, it's the challenge of the social media manager to say, okay, I don't have content. So let's put out the, like you said, the goat, the goat, the goat. Is that the other side of too many people going into it? Or do you feel like it's just not as creative as some other people are doing it? Yeah, it's the con of of uh, hey, you have a video and you could just upload it, hit hit post, and for a while it worked, and I see it go in and out. It's like, yeah, number people just love to run the numbers up, and that's fine. And that's like you know when people have these pitch meetings, and I, and this is a lot in the advertising world, when you have pitch meetings with these brands who you want to work with or these other people you want to work with, like you kind of have your big headline or your like measurement or analytic that you go like, this is why you should work with me. And for the people who want to run up the numbers, that's going to be their headline, you know? And so that, that's fine. Like, and man, like a lot of deals are made that way, but then there's other people, you know, and neither one is wrong. I know which one I want to live with. You know, it's like, Oh, my, my content is, is quality and it's a little bit different. Innovative is doing something else. But like, but yeah, so I think it's just like intentions of the people running these accounts. Yeah. And and to that point, like those, those get engagement. It's not like yeah. people are punishing the accounts for being repetitive. It's like, yeah, I do like the play of Vince Carter jumping over someone to dunk. So hit the like button's pretty easy. And then like you said, how that converts to that person showing it to their bosses. I have 50,000, 100,000 likes. Who cares how many times I posted it? Because this is the, why it's just so, sorry to cut you off because, because TikTok, I, I, something's going on where they're like, I mean, I love TikTok right now. I'm sure like you talk to everyone in social and it took me a minute, but like there is some sort of vetting in the algorithm where you can't just like there are some big accounts um, that just will curate. 
but you can't just curate. You got to add a little spin on it. You got to like know like story structure and a little bit. And, um, and I like that aspect of it. A lot of the sports accounts are sort of blowing up. There are highlight that has been relevant or like awesome for a long time and ran on so many other accounts. But what is your take? Is there a host? Is there a fun fact aspect? Is there like a behind the, the highlight type thing? And that's what I love about TikTok right now is like, it's really kind of making either the, the user guess or really make sure before they hit post that they're putting out something different and high quality out there. It always gives me the, it, hurt, it breaks my heart when it makes me think of the Vine days too. So yeah, I, I loved Vine. Um, RIP. <laughs> uh, and it also makes me think that the younger generation is more creative. I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but TikToks take a lot of effort to do. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, one segment of it. The other thing with social media is as corporate brands are getting onto it, not just sports, but, you know, every single brand has to have a Twitter and every sort of social media page. Um, we see these things where like Wendy's talks to someone or like yeah. fights with uh, Chick-fil-A or whatever. What do you, what's your opinion on that? Because I feel like there's there's this existential line. It's almost like the fourth wall where you think about is a social media account personified as an individual yeah. or does it represent an organization and how should how should what what should be the voice of a social media yeah yeah it's something i ask myself and, and struggle with every day there's a there's a, i don't i can't remember what comedian is and i keep i've like brought this up a few times uh, in the last couple of weeks but like someone was like i don't like when wendy's tells me to fuck off you know it's like i just like i like their food like be nice but you know the the personification of a brand is interesting um because and wendy is totally Diff, like cancels out this this sort of opinion, but we all know where corporations started. Like they were, you know, they 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 teamed up with an advertising or marketing team of a bunch of people in suits, our moms and dads, and you know, in the set and like, you know, very buttoned up or whatever. And then it was clearly handed off to a younger person who got the voice. And then they're just tweeting out jokes. Like, and so I think that the great middle ground or like the way for it to work for me is interact, like maybe even just like having a character or just still making it relevant to the product. And again, knowing your audience. And again, if you're getting those numbers, you are doing something right. If you are providing entertainment and using your platform of Velveeta fans and you are, you are telling jokes that or like tweeting out, you know, funny tweets or, or, or putting out good videos that are relevant to the Velveeta crowd Cheers to you. I'm never going to, I'm never going to like downplay that. So there, there's absolutely an art to it, the personification. But if like you're handing over an account and you're just a kid, a white kid, just like speaking in slang, that is like super cringe. You're not good at your job and you're, you're appropriating, you know? And so, so-and-so be like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. So uh, that's a major problem. I feel like in the last few months that we've really come down on a little bit and you know what, if that's how you talk in real life, then, then okay. But um, know that you are representing a brand and you're putting like, and if you want to give an explanation, you you know, you're going to have to do that through the brand for people to really buy into it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean that, that is a whole other part of it too, is the commodification of, of a culture on social media is is a, it's its own thing. I think what you're saying about corporate brands doing it is like the clearest example of of trying to 
it's almost like telling on themselves where they feel like the way that I can sell a product is to like speak slang instead yeah. of like the product itself being on its own merits, which is which is one thing. And then you have other brands that, as you said, instead of personifying the account, will create a persona like Colonel Sanders or or whatever. All right. So another thing I wanted to talk about is the constant nature of always having to put out content on social media and how do you deal with that when the issues that are going on in society are not as light as the ecosystem that social media exists in? For example, uh, Black Lives Matter protests this summer, essentially all of this, the social justice things that have been happening over the past four or five years. Because there's, there's, a, there's a tactical aspect of you got to put out this you know nice content in real time when you may be feeling like shit, yeah. but also you have to also not put something out when people are really struggling with some serious issues. Yeah. I think it's a few things of, you know, one, you hired a team because you trust them. You trust their instincts. Um, you know, they're educated in, in what you guys have been trying to do this whole time. And, um, and you just gotta like, this is where being a human behind these accounts really is one of the most important things. Like, Imagine yourself in like a conversation and what had happened back in June had happened. And, you know, you're talking about it, having a very like in-depth conversation. You're like, hey, did you see that LeBron dunk out of nowhere? It wouldn't feel right, you know? And so like, you got to think about that on social. You got to think about being a human. If, if like, you know, if people are scrolling and, and they see everyone else talking about it, and then all of a sudden you see, you know, your account is, is saying stuff that has nothing to do with it. It's not offensive, but has nothing to do with it. It just shows a total lack of awareness. And it showed like, again, I think a lot of these accounts were trying to show that humans are running this. It is, you know, a, a bunch of people with like heart and, and emotion and because, you know, emotional content is, is what gets a lot of numbers out there. But it's a lot of that. And so it's interesting to people and it's about, you know, educating yourselves, being able to hit pause and go like, all right, here's what the, the temperature is in the room. Here's the temperature in the world. Um, we got to do this, but also too, we have a platform. And so like, so like when people, when the companies are putting out that sort of like black square or message, mm. a lot of them were like, we have to do that. Right. And it was like, okay, you have to do that. Why do you have to do that? Um, you know, because we don't want anyone to think we're racist. No, it's like you have to do it because you have a platform. So you better make sure that not you're saying all the right things, but you truly believe everything you're saying. And I think a lot of a lot of places got exposed over the well, summer with the way they treated that stuff. One of the conversations I had with someone um, in that exact same vein was if you choose to then put something out, you have to be ready for someone to say, OK, then what are you doing about it? Exactly. What's the what's the action? Because because if you're going to put a, a square out and then someone says someone says, what what are you doing? And you say, well, I put the square out. It's like, well, um, you're a four billion dollar company. You have a hundred thousand employees. You have that, you know, you're inviting a situation in which you're not actually being authentic with that issue. And what happened in June, especially with the, the and the black squares, I think the social media aspect of it was incredibly interesting to see people struggle with that. And I'm sure there's a lot of, there are a lot of social media rooms and PR rooms that were worried about and don't necessarily know what, what they should have done in that situation. Um, I'm not sure if there was an actual answer. 
but yeah, I don't know. There, there's never going to be like an actual answer. Like, Hey, you know, it, it, it's not science. Um, you know, and, and that's what, that's what makes it difficult for some people. But again, like if, if you're continuing to just be a good person and you're, you're continuing to learn every day and, and be open to experiences outside of your own, like it is somewhat easy. And, and that's like, when I think a lot of these corporations were like out of breath doing this stuff, it's like, you know, we have, you have, we all have friends who came up differently, who've been put in situations, listen to them, ask them, like read the room. Like maybe they're tired of talking about it. Maybe they want to talk about it. Like yeah. almost just be there and then take action. If at the end of that conversation, it looks like you need to take action. So yeah, that was, that was, that was a tough time because it, I think a lot of a lot of people knew what they um, what they were feeling, but like also then had to go by a lot of the rules of the jobs wherever they're working, and it, it just got it got messy and, and was kind of gross in some ways to me. You work and you're you're a leader in in social media right now, so I think I'd be remiss not to ask you about what's going on in social media right now. And uh, obviously, the president getting booted off Twitter and essentially a a group of people uh, getting kicked off of, of social. And there's going to be a conversation about what the role of social media is for the public and how people should behave and what type of content should be there. What's your, what's your overall take on that? I mean, it changes every day. I'm glad he's off. Um, in my opinion, you know, that's where I stand of like, I'm glad he's off. I don't think he should be on there. My buddy and I were talking last night. Uh, I don't think we don't, I don't think presidents should be, on Twitter. I think there should be representatives of the president. I think there should be like, Hey, tweeting from Biden's social team, you know, I think, or president's social team. Um, or you know what, or just like really have a conversation. And the funny thing is I was actually asked to, uh, participate in, uh, in like Biden's meme team a few months ago. And like, and, and that, that's who I, I feel comfortable saying that's who I voted for. And that's, you know, um, what I wanted to happen. And I, and I was doing everything I could, I was, you know, canvassing and I was talking to people, but like, I didn't want to be a part of that team because it felt inauthentic. It felt like a marketing ploy. It felt like advertising and not that those are bad words, but it just wasn't the way I thought we should win this or fix this. And so I think there's, it's just a major responsibility. And obviously I think our, president who's been impeached for the second time last night did not realize the responsibility that he has <laughs> on social media, you know? And, and if, if social media is just the norm, as much as in-person conversation and interaction, then you got to show it, you got to, you got to show it. And, and I hope, I hope Biden and Kamala and, and uh, everyone else just like does it a little bit differently realizes, hey, again, is this worth posting or why can't I sell it, say this on television and then my team can clip it and post it on social? So, so yeah, I just don't know if, if they should just have the, hey, I, I can post something while laying in bed. I'm the president because you have a yeah. lot of responsibility. Yeah, I, I have two, two thoughts on that. Well, the first one was when people are saying that like he has no voice now when he has an entire organization, like entire yeah. press apparatus that's dedicated to anything that he ever wants to say at any given time. And two, the other part I always have with social media is um, I always tell people that social media kind of broke, not, 
you know, the PR marketing part of it. But the social media kind of broke the social contract in a sense. Because back in the day, someone was talking crazy at you. You, you can get punched in the face. Someone can run up yep. to you there you are. Punch you. That is the social contract. That's the public square where you talk crazy. I can, you know, there there is retribution to it. There is no retribution to it now. There's yeah. 10 letters, 10 numbers says this at you. And, and there's no, there's nothing to do uh, that you can do to remedy that or address um, in the context of how a society you, used to run up until now. And I think we have yet to catch up to it. And this is probably the first big moment where it's we are too far in a direction of anonymity and lack of um, almost like tethering to anything in society where you could just talk crazy. Um, and I don't know if there's if we've we've figured out what sort of the boundaries of a society that at this point is digital. I feel like everyone can take the note of like, let's take a breath and re- and again, just like be humans about this. And just because a new technology exists doesn't mean I should go and start abusing it. I should, uh, you know, especially again, people in power should go, hey, um, I create a username on here. Obviously, everyone's going to follow pretty quickly. Okay. Um, well, let's think about what I'm going to post, you know, for a second. And I think that's really all it takes. And you know what? He, our last president got voted in. He used it in a way to provoke violence. And that is not the right way to use any platform. And so, yeah, that, that's, why, um, that's why he should not be on Twitter. And we should be hesitant and, and rethink how leaders are on these social media apps where also memes and sports highlights and yeah. Silly things are happening. So, follow through. So you moved on from, from Bleach Report. You started your own creative studio. What are you What are you working on? Yeah. So you know, uh, it's not much different than what I've been doing over the last six years. Um, one of the biggest motivations to start this thing was working at Bleach Report. Uh, has always been good in House of Highlights. Has always been great. Great teams and whatnot. But um, there was a little bit of a speed that I wanted to work at, and there were a lot of you know, great people that I've met again, like I said, at, at these events and, and, um, you know, all-star weekend, Super Bowl, and, uh, you know, kickoff or whatever. And it's an opportunity to work with everybody and, you know, sort of, and I, I think like all of us, we are always going to have that complainer, like ways we wanted to do it differently. And I think I looked at myself, I was like, man, I'm kind of old in this business. I'm like, you know, I'm about to turn, th- I'm, I turn 34 tomorrow. I've always been considered sort of like the babysitter, of the young kids, um, and I, I, but I'm young to everyone else apparently. But so follow through is like the answer to that, right? It, it's a creative studio that's specializing in sports entertainment for social. And so, of course, we will we will do all the hey, what does it look like when you guys are reporting wins or losses? But a lot of the emphasis is a lot of in what my passions and background has been in, and it's through entertainment from TV, movies, uh, sketch comedy. Um, and so especially with when the bubble happened and we saw like 10 NBA players do do vlogs, right. And they were so entertaining to watch. And I was like, well, what if we had dedicated studios and teams to help those players tell those stories? And so that is one aspect of follow through is taking players and teams and making them realize that they are networks and channels themselves, and they can create a slate of programming, whether that's a daily vlog, a cooking show, a workout show, a comedy show, a talk show, like, oh, this brand wants to work with this athlete. What is the most organic, but, you know, best way uh, to get value out of each other? 
And to me, that's through entertainment, that's through humor, that's through clever and innovative ways of storytelling. And, and that is what follow through is dedicated to. And it, honestly, it's just also for me to do my own thing. It, it's to, again, back up everything I've said I wanted to do in the last six years and in this like still somewhat new space and to innovate and not be complacent and go at the speed that I want to go at. Do you yeah. feel like in that vein, do you feel like, and this is something that I'm, I'm extremely interested in, and the media side of it is that the content future is in the hands of the players themselves. Absolutely. And I think that that's one of the things, if you look at the, the legacy media and um, who are the hosts now, it's mostly all former players. And that gives a different viewpoint and how, their experience playing they it's not just someone yelling about oh the jets made a trade and i'm a jets fan i mean i'm not really going at mike greenberg but i'm talking about mike greenberg. <laughs> um and uh but he's a great example because he sort of uh hosts uh with 10 different former players and what you just said about the bubble too and and players access to social media is people are like you know what let me just go straight to the content mm-hmm. and so that, that's what you're saying is that that that's where that uh, the future of the real interesting authentic content is going to be introduced. Yeah. I mean, and also too, I think one of the, when I was just talking to teams and, and from working with the team, I think um, I've seen a lot of these places go, why are all the publishers getting all the engagement for our, our players or in our, in our team? I want to be the the answer to that. It's like, well, you just got to like beef up on, on your production or creative team a little bit. You need to know, like you're seeing the story happen first. You have the inside, like, the player is going to make an announcement, um, you know, and they want to do it in the best or like the biggest way possible rather than like a bleacher report, predict it. Uh, and then, you know, have their team dedicated to, Hey, when this happens, we're going to drop this cool graphic and get all the engagement. Like, no, let, let's take the power back to the players and the teams a little bit. Um, and not to say that publishers, like it's wrong that they're doing that, but you know, I want to give opportunity to everyone to catch up in the game a little bit. That's a good point. I actually never thought about that because you guys probably got more out of Joel Embiid watching anime than the Sixers did in that moment and probably had more engagement on their social because the Sixers probably would have never thought to even post that type of content on their own channels because they probably wouldn't want to have that content posted. And so let me just I'll walk you through just as for anyone listening to this and go, hey, what would follow through do? So say we're the Sixers, they start noticing Joel watching anime on the, you know, on, on his little massage bed before a game, whatever, before warming up. You know, that's funny. That's like, you know, we're, we're trying to tell player stories off the court too. Like, all right, what, what should we do? All right, let's hit up CJ over at follow through. He, he sort of works in sort of like the outside the game approach. All right. Hey, CJ, like Joel's watching anime a lot, right? Then I can go, okay, maybe I don't watch anime that much, or maybe I do, but I do know this person who watches anime and let's bring him in and let's have a discussion about, how we can get the most out of this story. Like, let's bring Joel in and say, Joel, you love anime. What are some of your dreams uh, in terms of like either creating anime or like do it? So like, and Joel will be like, well, what if we did hype videos in the anime form or whatever? And it's just like, great, we're going to create hype videos in the anime form. And you guys are going to release it on Joel's channels and on the Sixers channels, you know? And so like that, that is, that is the way sort of follow through is going to work. It's like, you have a hunch or you see something happening in your locker room that you want everyone else to know and you want to tell that story in the in the most fun way possible, follow through is going to do that. And I'm sure a lot of social media teams are going to be very happy to hear about that, uh, that support yeah. as well. 
Um, I always consider when I, I've been talking to some teams already and, and I'm like, listen, like I'm not trying to come in and take work off your guys' play. I, I will, but also consider us as the fun department. We are the cool and fun department and we will do it the right way. Cause again, anyone who I work with, we speak the language of social. My last question is what is the thing, the future in social media that people do not know yet? To me, one of my priorities is getting sports social on linear. It's getting it on TV. And for people, you know, I think TV is always, they always go, oh, something's popping off on social. Let's put it on TV and it never works. And so for me, I think it's about finding the ways for it to work. It's about, you know, um, you see a lot of creators, you see like a Haha Davis or a Supreme Dreams or uh, again, players. Um, I'm trying to think of like a good example a Matisse Thibault's vlog, right? Mm. So I think the future is not just going, hey, we're going to put your content on TV. It's going, all right, you are going to keep doing your vlogs. You're going to keep doing your sketches on your social, but we are going to create a special place on Netflix, Hulu, YouTube TV, HBO Max, whatever, that's going to be a supplement, but also it's going to be, what if we gave you guys a higher production? And it's going to work and it's going to be it's going to be uh, the best it's going to be the best of both worlds for everyone. And I think that's like that's like a disconnect that a lot of these places have had is like they think they can just like grab something and put it on their platform and it'll just work. Everyone's got to realize the the sort of like character traits that they've built over the years and, and realize like if you're going to work with somebody like what what from your guys's platform are you going to apply to them to make their experience better for them and for the audience and I don't know if that's like exactly the answer you're looking for, but um, that is something that I'm excited to figure out uh, and also see other people try to figure out because I think it's just going to like, again, continue to forward this game and, and, and make the space um, a better place to work in. All right. Thank you to CJ for joining me for episode five of the Behind the Sports Story podcast. That was a great conversation. We all follow sports social brands also just general brands and this, this gives you a behind the scenes of, of some of the thought process that goes into the content with that said you can follow cj at cj toledano on twitter as well as his new creative sports studio at follow through la on twitter as well you can also follow the show at sports story pod on twitter and at behind the sports story on instagram if you like what you've heard so far please like rate and subscribe it's very helpful to me and if you have any questions on any of the topics that we've discussed on previous episodes or anything that you'd like to discuss in future episodes hit me up on social i will try to get those answers to you next week's episode is going to be particularly interesting for those interested in sports business going to announce the guest mid next week stay tuned and we'll talk soon As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.